Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. and welcome to Turn the Page. I'm your host today, Jen, and I am here with two fantastic writers uh, who are here to talk about an absolutely uh, thrilling and riveting collaboration. So let's hop right into our interview. Could I ask you to introduce yourselves, please, and your book? Uh, sure. Yeah. My name is Carson Winter. Um, I am the co-author of Post Haste Manor. Uh, my name is Jolie Tumajan, and I am the other author of Post Haste Manor. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, as I was saying just before we hit record, uh, this book was fantastic, and I read it like Im- impossibly fast. Like I am not a terribly <laughs> fast reader, and I could not put this one down. Um, but before we get too much into the book itself, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about your journey to the book. Um, could you tell me a little bit about your careers and how this collaboration came to be? Sure, no problem. Um, so uh, I've been writing for semi-seriously for about a decade now. Um, that doesn't mean I've been getting published for a decade. I've been writing uh, very bad stories very quietly for a while. And now people are just starting to uh, see the good ones that come out every <laughs> once in a while. Jolie and I run in some of the same writing circles. We're both horror weird writers. And uh, um, we were in the same writing group. And I had just finished up another project and I was looking to kind of collaborate with another author, one that I um, I really admired. And Jolie was um, had just announced that uh, she had a story get into Black Static, which in our circles is a very, very big deal. Black Static is like one of the big horror mags. So when you hear one of your other like hopeful, desperate amateurs just got into Black Static, you're like, oh, holy shit, this person must be serious business. Mm. So I immediately was like, hey, Jolie, let me tie myself to your coattails as you uh, <laughs> rocket towards the stratosphere. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how Post Haste Manor came about. You know, we just I was looking for a project, something to do outside of the bounds of um, the regular publishing submission process, which is a huge grind. And we were initially just trying to like uh, um, self pub or something. And it turned out um, really, really well. So I am an academic in general. I've got a ton of education. I've got an MFA. I'm finishing my PhD in three weeks. Um, And so I've been writing for a long time, but I haven't been trying to get published for a long time because I've sort of been just like working. Do you know what I mean? Like, eat and so it's not really a thing that I get to do much um and over the course of like writing my dissertation I had taken about an eight year break from writing anything to sort of get my life under control uh and over the course of working on my dissertation I realized that I needed a break from all of the like heavy academic stuff and I started getting back into writing fiction again and I started placing stories and I ended up in a writer's group with Carson which speaking of dream publications he's got a story in apex which is another one of the yeah see which is another one of those like holy you did it like do you know what i mean like 
even if it's not me, it's like bust out the champagne time. Like one of us did <laughs> is, is being next to greatness. And Historian Apex in Haskins, in my opinion, is destined to be a classic. Um, it is an incredibly well-built story. Uh, it is so creepy. It does and says so much. And so when he asked me to work with him and I realized he was serious, I like jumped on it. Like, yeah, let's do this immediately. Um, and yeah, that's sort of how it started is we're in a writing group together and we decided to like bounce ideas off each other until a book stuck. <laughs> and I think it's fair to mention that uh, Jolie has now slayed the apex beast too. And her story is coming out <laughs> what this year? <laughs> this next month this it's coming out next right month, november november yeah mm-hmm. and it it is a banger i hope i can't wait for people to read it wow that's oh. so exciting that's so much cool publication stuff happening like all at once <laughs> <laughs> including yeah. a, a dissertation defense i know <laughs> i know i don't know what i'm gonna i don't know how i've survived the last six weeks of my life and i don't know how i'm gonna survive the next six weeks we're just gonna <laughs> head down straight through like oh uh. <laughs> Well, one of my questions actually was going to be, uh, who is the academic? Because this book has a portrayal of an academic writing a dissertation that uh, felt so real to me. So I also, I am like in libraries now as a sort of recovering PhD. I finished and I was like, and that's that. Like, <laughs> let's Same. I'm out of here, yeah. man. I can't do this anymore. I want to go back to being a medical editor where people don't do this to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was, and it was just so real about that, like, you know, working so hard towards something that is like, um, you know, like structurally becoming like not so much a place where jobs are, <laughs> you know, and like, it's just so it's, it's a lot. So I sort of like totally sympathize. I not mean to derail with like my own issue, issues, but no, it, it was me. And I actually like I, my advisor doesn't know about this book yet. And I feel like before I tell her about it, I have to be like, this is not you and I'm fine. Like, I don't, don't think it. Like, I'm fine. And this is not about you. This is about how much education do I have now? 300 years? 300 years of frustration with that kind of institutional brouhaha. And yeah, that's what that is what came out in that story. That was all me. <laughs> well, and your research is about um, the weird as well, too. So mm-hmm. did you bring some of that research to this project or to your writing in general? I do. I do. I am very, um, so basically I study, my archive is uh, a bunch of uh, American women writers who wrote predominantly for Weird Tales, 15, 20, 30 stories each, who were these huge contributors. Um, And in doing so, I have found a bunch of authors who I now just fangirl for and who I really um, have sort of looked at them and gone, so this is how they do it. Because a lot of their work, even reading it, I'm like, what year was this published? And I feel, you know what I mean? It feels very fresh and very interesting. And so I take a lot from the pulp in terms of that kind of like campy little like wink that they do with things that influences me a lot. I think I brought a lot of that to post haste. Um, Because you could tell a lot of the times with the pulp that they were writing serious things. They had fun with it. It was like aliens and ray guns and cosmic horror. (laughs) And so that kind of fun was what I wanted to bring, especially into this book. Nice. Uh, And for you, Carson, um, was there like, um, 
like, did this collaboration sort of like bring new stuff to your own writing process? Or did you find yourself like learning new things like uh, in the process of this project? I mean, I think I learned a lot about um, collaboration and how to make a successful collaboration through the project. I mean, for me, it was it was a little bit of a different thing. I think it was a different thing for both of us because we hadn't ever co-authored before a single pro project. And I think in my mind, I've always had even a little bit of a negative impression of co-writing um, because, you know, I'm an art for art's sake nerd. And like the singular authorial voice to me is very, very important. It's why I read, you know. I want to to spread that over two people to me seems like it dilutes um, the idea of a singular communication from reader to audience. Mm. Um, but in that also kind of makes it tantalizing in a way, because if you see there's a form that uh, doesn't necessarily vibe with you, at least for me, mm. that means I want to tackle it and try to make it work for me in a fun way. So it's, it was kind of a fun challenge. And I think through the um, our kind of fundamental structuring, our discussions on it, we found ways to really preserve each other's voice and strengthen each other throughout it, mm -hmm. rather than kind of smoothing out all the, you know, fun stuff Jolie and I do separately. We kind of leaned into what we do and just ran with it and found ways to, um, you know, interconnect throughout the process. Mm -hmm. Nice. So what was, um, can you talk a little bit about that structure and how you split up the writing? Because one, the structure is really like one of the things that makes the story really engaging and really um, mystifying in that you sort of, <laughs> you learn things in a really interesting sort of chronological way about what's going on in the house. Um, yeah. So can you talk about how you landed on that structure and sort of how you, um, like what were the practical parts of how that collaboration worked? It was a lot of, um, well, at the beginning, the way we initiated the project, we were we said we were going to do 10 short stories, five short stories each. They're going to take place in the same haunted house. Um, and that's the second half of the book, as it is now. Uh, I I started writing mine on during NaNoWriMo of last year, and I, I knocked mine out within, you know, um, I think the first week or so. Um, without a real plan, it was just, you know, I was, I was just playing with the idea of the haunted house and talking to Jolie as I did it. Jolie has a very busy life, so she was, uh, necessarily going to be a couple steps, um, behind me, but she caught up in like no time too. So we had these five stories. We kind of edited them together, found strengths, uh, or places to kind of strengthen connections and ideas. But at that point, it wasn't really supposed to be um a mosaic novel it was just going to be a chat book of short stories um but then we were like well why don't we just submit this to tenebris who we both had a uh kind of a friendly connection with and they they really dug it but they were like hey do you also want to write a novella to go with it and we we had enough fun writing post haste the other half of post haste manner. It was really you know kind of a no brainer for us to be like, oh yeah, let's let's give it a shot, see what we can do. And then uh, we kind of settled on there because um, this was a little bit different. Instead of writing our own individual short stories, we'd have to intertwine a little bit more. So I think we actually had a um, 
a whole ass outline and um we just we decided we'd have two different perspectives and we ran with it and it was a blast it's like same, ditto. It came, it worked, yeah, ditto no it's like the only group project in history that ended with two people still being friends like it really it really went incredibly well for both of us i'm still as an only child i'm still surprised <laughs> That is like, to me, that is, you know, is, is super impressive. Like um, writing a, a thing on your own is really hard. And then, you know, doing it with another person and accommodating a process that might not look like yours is also super challenging. And I, if I understand correctly, like you're not in the same place either, right? So this was probably totally done remotely. Yep. Mm-hmm. We've never met in person. Not <laughs> once. Oh, wow. This is as close as we've gotten. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> One day. Wow. Um, so we've talked a lot about uh, your career leading up to the book, to the writing of it. So let's talk a little bit about Post Haste Manor itself. Um, right, Very early on in the book, there is, in very big letters, never trust a house with a name. So please tell us why. Why should we not trust Post Haste Manor without spoiling anything too juicy? But tell us about, like, yeah, um, the house at the center of the story and sort of where it came, maybe came from between the two of you. So for my end, um, a house with a name usually signifies something that has to do with class. Mm. And one of the reasons that I wanted the house to be a mansion is because I thought that that like opulent displays of wealth, I find very creepy. Like, I, I just find it a little like, am I in a house? Am I like, where am I in a museum? Am I about to be killed? Like, and so that was part of it going into it was me thinking about like class and houses and like how all of that. Cause I think at this point, like you can't even write a haunted house novel without thinking about like class. Like it's like writing it without the ghosts, which actually technically we did, but like, some of them are ghosts. They were like, technically they're ghosts. They're ghost E. Um, And so that was part of going into the build of it for me. And then the other part that interested me was like, what would keep something like this going for so long? And so one of the structural things that I thought was so interesting was coming up with a different reason that everybody had moved in there. Because at a certain, like, there's a certain point where, like, we just admit that, like, everybody in town knows about this house. Like, there's no way. (laughs) But people keep moving in. And so when we got to do that, we got to really get into this like sort of emotional meat of like character driven stories built on top of this absolutely bizarre, deranged setting. We've layered like, in my opinion, on my, and Carson did it too, layered these very human and very tender stories on top of this absolutely wackadoo setting that we came up with all of that a hundred percent the the class aspect was a huge part for me as well and Mm -hmm. you know when we're talking about haunted houses i feel like as horror writers we both just have we're both very tangled up in the subject we we both loved horror i'm sure for our entire lives we've encountered the haunted house um you know within fiction time and time and time again it's it's something that as a horror writer, you almost feel compelled to comment on in one way or another and to kind of bend and mold um, to express your own um, 
your own existence, your own life and stuff. What a, what a house meant to someone, you know, in, uh, you know, 1956 means something very different to me as a millennial who may never own a home. That is something that um, actually really impressed me and kind of touches on what you were both talking about uh, when you get to sort of like the reasons that people are moving into post-haste manners sort of over and over again. Um, a lot of them are driven by sort of, yeah, like by economic reasons, which I think it does speak to, yeah, where we are <laughs> as a country mm-hmm. right now. Um, but there is at least one character who's like, no, I know, I know it's haunted and like, yeah, like, let's go. <laughs> like, let's, that's <laughs> what you know, so <laughs> like, did there's you- always one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, and this like, you know, to speak about uh that character too, like something that I think the book does really well is um, you know, it's about the supernatural horror, but it's also, as you said, these like really intensely internal stories about like people and their very real flaws, like their, you know, um, fatal flaws, someone might say in some cases, but like, um, so yeah, like, can you talk a little bit about how you pro approach, like what you might call the external horror and the internal horror and like that balance? Take it away, Julie. All right. So for me, my horror is never my plot point. My, my horror, my supernatural or whatever my, my locus of fears is my metaphor. Do you know what I mean? And so what happens to me is that what I'm interested in is how these people are dealing with this. I'm not interested in how it came to be. I'm not interested in where it's going to go. I'm not interested in the contours of it or like, I don't, I'm one of those people who really hates horror that explains it to you. Like, because one, like that's not how the world works. The world is messy and confusing and devastating and terrible things will happen. And nobody will ever tell you why there's no reason why, because F you, that's why. Like, And so for me, really getting into like the mechanics of horror is not where my writing goes. I sort of like throw a weird pretense at the wall and then like pick a person out of a hat and go, how do they deal with this? And so there were actually a couple extra characters that I, there was a like a, that I didn't make it into the book. There was like a teenage girl who'd been forced to move into the house with her parents who didn't even want to be there. And like, to me, the way that I wrote it, what was going on in the house though that is explained wasn't the meat of it. What the meat of it was what's going on to everybody there and what it's doing. Though post-haste is fun as a, as an entity and so that was part of it too. Like I wanted to build a haunted house that wasn't just scary. That was a little bit like, that had like a little bit of like a nod and a wink to it. Post-haste kind of reminds me a little bit um, as a villain. It kind of reminds me of almost like the Deadites from Evil Dead, where they like seem to operate on their own logic. You can't really out logic any of the villains in the Evil Dead series. They just mm-hmm. kind of do stuff. And it's like, and it and it's not bound by reality in any way where it's like suddenly these monsters will like take a couple minutes to do like a three stooges gag out of nowhere and you know they just think it's funny like mm-hmm. they're, that's, that's the only reason they're doing it and it's like what the fuck do you do with something like that that seems is able to just act out little comedy bits on a mm-hmm. whim and shit um and yeah that's i think that's one of the things i really like about post haste manner 
um the the villain the house mm-hmm. the house with a name is that it is this just it's this absurd unknowable entity that is really just throwing everything at the wall every single thing it has in mm-hmm. its ammunition box it's throwing out there because it it's it, it's in the business of doing what it does and you don't know what it does really and you won't understand why i also resonate a lot with what jolie said about um uh, kind of not ex- over explaining um, in weird fiction. I, I consider myself a weird fiction writer. And one of kind of like what I would uh, boil weird fiction down to is um, people bouncing off the unknowable, um, a mm-hmm. uh, unknowable concept happening, uh, some kind of aberration and distortion, uh, much like uh, Kafka's the metamorphosis guy turns into a bug. Nobody gives a shit how or why that Mm -hmm. happened but the rest of the story is him bouncing off that new reality and i think i took a similar approach in my half of post haste manner where it's it's about real people bouncing off the unknowable and um rather than solve it because when you're dealing with the unknowable you cannot solve the unknowable you do have to make these stories you have to fit them into the shape of a story and the way you do that is by giving characters an arc so whether um and i think that's kind of what forms the necessity in post haste manner for having those characters have uh, stra- such strong internalizations is because the externalization is so wacky it mm-hmm. it will lead to um nowhere it can't lead to anywhere mm-hmm. by design I do kind of like that, you know, because I think, um, you know, we've spent a, not we, but like the world has spent a lot of ink talking about like, you know, elevated horror or dissertation horror, you know, and like, oh, this is a metaphor for that. And I like that, like the goofiness, the zaniness, like almost like a sort of like Bugs Bunny energy <laughs> that the yeah, house brings. Yeah, anarchic. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It like is like almost like resisting that um like please do not ascribe one particular meaning to me <laughs> you know like sort of and that is another form of not explaining and of like denying mm-hmm. closure and stuff like that and that might be why the story stays with you because like stories that never tell us everything you know we never get to be like and that's that and put it aside you know <laughs> so yeah i didn't even realize until jolie said it earlier about it not really being about ghosts or anything and i i didn't even think about that and i was like yeah i guess it's not really <laughs> I mean, Post Haste Manor has them. It has everything, but it's not really like set deep into ghost world or anything. Mm-hmm. I've said that the house isn't haunted so much as it's deranged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, I, and, and it's like enjoying it. You know, haunted also sort mm-hmm. of like implies a melancholia. Sort of like the house really. <laughs> no, man. Post Haste Manor has been a haunted house for a long time, and it is mm. confident in its abilities, and it has started having fun. Yeah, yeah. it is really a confident, confident mm. haunted house. It yep. Is. Now it I'm proud. Of, you know, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it now. So, <laughs> so far, it's so good at what it does. <laughs> Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for coming. And, you know, just before we wrap up, like, um, for both of you, do you feel like there was anything that this collaboration imparted to you that you'll bring forward into your future writing? Oh, geez, that's such a big question. Sorry. I think it's, <laughs> no, no, it's great. Um, I think what it's going to give me 
is a lot more confidence in being able to take on these types of projects and stuff. Mm -hmm. I never saw myself as a co-writing person before. Um, and, and I initiated the project, but it really has, um, kind of bolstered my enthusiasm for the form and it's, um, it tested my creativity throughout it in uh, really fun, valuable ways. So I feel like uh, much like post-haste manner, I am a much more confident writer. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of the same thing is that by working with Carson, I found my way into my own voice. I sort of fell into it. And some of the things that I'm going to take, like Carson is so incredibly skilled that taking some of his technical Stuff is just yoink. Sorry, that's mine now. Now we all write things in sparse prose. Too bad. Um, and a lot of it was the ability of writing is so lonely in general as an art form. It's not a thing that you do. You write it, you finish it, and you're like, well, I guess this will be great when everybody reads it three years from now or not. Like, there, it's just sort of like, you put it away and you forget about it and then it comes out later and there's like a little bit of confetti and like, unless you, you know, get famous and like that's sort of it. And so it really hammered home to me the importance of a kind of community and it doesn't necessarily have to be a writing group. Um, I, I think that too many cooks spoiling the soup is a real thing, but if you get like two or three people who are on your vibe, it can really take your art someplace new. And it's, it's as valuable as anything that you could do yourself. Very cool. Yeah. And it seems like that's something that like the press Tenebrous is sort of leaning into too. Like they're kind of creating a horror community and supporting their writers. Mm -hmm. and they are. They're great. Great to work with. Love them. Yeah. Phenomenal to work with. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. This has been really lovely. And I hope that, you know, uh, when you embark on your future projects, you'll consider coming back and sharing them with us because I really enjoyed this chat. Thank you. Oh, Thank absolutely. You. Thank you Thank so much you for, for having, having us. us. No problem. Okay, listeners, now it's on you. Go check out Post Haste Manor. It's out now. It'll be out when you listen to this episode. Uh, so go hit up your favorite library or independent bookstore, wherever you like to get your books. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it is time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.